0: Welcome to the Elevate Life Podcast channel. We hope this sermon encourages and inspires you so you can go and grow to your next level. For more information about our church, please visit our website, elevate.life. Enjoy the message.
1: We've been in this, we've been in this series called called Game Over. Today we're talking about how it's dangerous to go alone. Take this, and I'm gonna explain that to those of you that um, aren't really video game people, that's okay. And we're just using video games as kind of an analog for life. So, so in um 1986 this game that's one of the greatest games of all time came out it's called The Legend of Zelda and um and believe it or not Zelda is not the main character a lot of people think that Zelda is the main character Zelda is not the main character the main character is known as Link and so in this story in this in this game The Legend of Zelda um in the first part of the of the story you are um you acquire your first, your first weapon, you go into a cave, you start the game, you're playing the game, you go into a cave for the first time and you, you run into this old man. And the old man runs up to you and he does what Pastor Keith did to me in that story, we went and fought together. He says, it's dangerous to go alone, take this. So I want you to just, this is what it looked like in the game, check out this video. in The Legend of Zelda. You can go play it um, if if you want to. But that's what we're talking about today. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Before we get into that, let's pray. God, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your house today. Thank you that it's not a coincidence that we're here. You know exactly where we're at in our life. You know what we're going through. You know what our life looks like. And we believe that a word from you can change our life. God, I thank you that right where we're at, you can speak directly to us, whether that's from the words that are said today or from something that's totally out of nowhere. We just thank you for that. Thank you that you're your God. I pray that you just just lead our time today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been talking about game over. What does it mean to have a game over in our life to do life the way that God wants us to do it? Last week, we talked about Matthew chapter 22. And in Matthew chapter 22 in the Bible, this is like the, the thing. If you only read one portion of scripture your entire life, this is the portion to read because this is the axis on which everything turns according to Jesus. So he says in Matthew chapter 22, I want to read it again for our time together, starting in verse 35. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. What is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. We talked about that last week. If you didn't hear last week's message, this one's going to be fine too. But go listen to that one because that will help set up, set up for this one. But this is one of those things that's really easy to understand, but hard to do. So that's what we have to admit. The way of love is, you know, last week we talked about how there were 613 different rules that the Pharisees said you had to live by, and Jesus came and he, he distilled them down to two. And these two are of equal importance, but that, so that's a lot, a lot easier to understand, but that's a lot more difficult to do. So if we take these commands seriously, so if we, if we really say to ourselves, those of us who are in this room who have a relationship with God, if we say to ourselves, hey, I really want to follow Jesus, I really want to do life the way that Jesus wants me to do it, then anyone who mistreats their neighbor doesn't love God. According to this passage of scripture, love for God, because okay, I'm just summarizing last week for you, is not just vertical, it's horizontal too. So our ability to love God directly is reflected in our ability to love other people. So Jesus intentionally talks about love this way. He talks about how to love people this way so that there are no loopholes. So this way of love is far less complicated, but far more demanding. Because it's not just about, hey, make God happy right? It's not just about, hey, make sure God's pleased with you. Make sure you feel good about your relationship with God. It's no, it's not just this, but it's this. It's me with people. So what are God's commandments? Not 613 of them. Not a whole bunch of different stuff that you may have heard. Like, you know, don't get a tattoo. Don't put earrings in your ear. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do this. Do that. It's not about those things. It's This new way, love God with all your heart, soul and mind. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are of equal importance. I hope that you understand the significance of that statement that Jesus makes there. Equal to our relationship with God is our relationship with other people. So this new way, this this way is centered on doing right by your neighbor, by the people that are in your world. So who is our neighbor? Right? Read, the, read the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus was asked that question and he answered that question. Now, your neighbor, according to the story of the Good Samaritan, is the person that you have the propensity to dislike the most because Jews hated Samaritans. So Jesus used the Samaritan as an example to say, the person that you could dislike the most, judge the most, criticize the most, be the most harsh towards, that's your neighbor. That's who you should love as yourself. So it's important that we understand the difference between the old way of doing things with the 613 different commandments and the new way of doing things. It's not about making God happy. It's not just a vertical relationship now. God really, really, really cares about our horizontal relationships. So in this new life, you and I are responsible for how our behavior affects everyone we come in contact with. There's a lot of people that excuse their behavior. There's a lot of people that said, hey, they say, hey, I'm going to act how I want to act. I'm going to be how I want to be. You know we, all know, we all know people that probably got the tattoo that, that says only God can judge me, right? Um, Mike Bibby has one of those. If you know who Mike Bibby is, yeah. if you don't, that's okay. Just watch basketball in 1998, you'll know who Mike Bibby is. So some people walk around like they have this tattoo, this idea, this mentality, like only God can judge me. I'm gonna do me, everyone else, whatever, I don't really care. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you don't get to have that mentality. Other people do. Other people can live their life as if their behavior doesn't matter. Other people can go through life and they can have this thought process that says, you know what, I just need someone to love me the way that I am. If you don't love me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. That's not the way that a Christian thinks. That's a really cool, just because something sounds good doesn't mean it's right. Just because something rhymes doesn't mean that it's right, right? So just because something looks cool on a, on a set background on Instagram doesn't mean that that's actually something that we should set sunset, whatever, sunset over the sea. You knew what I was saying. Just because something looks... Just because something looks cool that way doesn't mean it's a, it's a statement by which we should live our life. But so many of us, we go through life and we just expect for people to just put up with our drama and put up with what doesn't work about us. And Jesus says, okay, you don't have to follow him. No one's gonna, no one's gonna force you to do that. But Jesus says, if you're gonna follow me, your behavior is gonna be good enough where you can treat everyone around you with love and respect. So God's love at this point doesn't ask us to do something for him. It asks us to do something for those around us. That's what he says. And that's what kind of like blew the whole thing up. Jesus said, if you can do these two things, you've fulfilled every law and every commandment that there is. If you can love me really well and by extension, love people really well. Jesus is teaching us. You've heard this said, you've probably said it yourself. Maybe you post this on on Facebook as your status before. Love is about doing, it's not about feeling. So loving, loving a person is not about feeling good about them. It's not about whatever all that different stuff is. It's about doing something for people. We love because of how our love affects the people that we come in contact with. That's the reason why we love. That's the reason why we're supposed to love. That's the reason why we're supposed to do relationships right. Not because we're going to get something out of it. Not because people are going to meet our expectations. Not because we'll have all of our needs met. That's not God did not put us on the earth to have our needs met. That's not why he did that. God put us on the earth to meet other people's needs. And as we step into a relationship with Jesus, this thing happens. Philippians chapter 2 in the Bible tells us, Paul says, have the same attitude and mindset that Christ Jesus had. Treat yourself as a slave, that's what what Paul says. So as you step into a relationship with Jesus, here's the lifestyle you're stepping into. My life is not about me. My relationships are not about me. My job is not about me. It's not about my dreams coming true. It's not about me getting what I want. It's not about me living this certain kind of life. It's all about what I can do for other people. Yeah. We don't, we don't want to live that way, though. Because here's the truth. You and I have the relationships that we have because of what those people do for us and because of how those people make us feel about us. I was, last night, I was... Um, I was, I was texting back and forth with someone, and this person, like you ever just been around people, you talk to people, they just make you feel like you're just the best person in the world, and they just make you feel so special, so I was talking to this person, and I'm not a big deal to this person, they're kind of a big deal, I'm not a big deal to them, and so I was telling them I was coming to their, as a pastor, so I was telling them I was coming to their conference, and this pastor was like, oh my gosh, you just made my day, just sent me like text after text, thank you so much for coming, I mean like I'm nobody to this guy, Right? but it made me feel it made me feel special because of how he in that moment decided to love me that's how we should be with people we need people and people need us but if i get focused on if i'm just all focused on myself if i'm all focused on what i need from everybody else and how everybody else is supposed to make me feel then i miss the calling of god that's on my life so we need people and and people need and people need us it's dangerous to go alone So when you and I start putting expectations on people that we can't live up to, when we start living our life as if relationships and you know out of our hurt, because all of us have been hurt by people, all of us have, have had situations and moments where we haven't felt accepted, we haven't felt loved for who we are. So what that causes us to do is to build up boundaries in our life where we go, you know what, I don't need anybody and nobody's gonna understand me and no one's gonna love me for me. And so we do all this different stuff to try to get around it, but it's dangerous to go alone. So Jesus isn't asking us to feel something. That's impossible. Emotions, emotions matter. The way that we we feel matters. But what's even more important than our feelings is what we decide to do. So he's asking us to do something that affects everything for someone else. So how do we do this? I'm not going to read these to you today. I had a whole message that I wrote that I decided not to teach on these verses um, but but these things are so important and maybe we'll talk about it in the future there's there's three passages of scripture there's so much more in the new testament Colossians 3 chapter 1 or Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 through 17 Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 through 32 Galatians chapter 5 verse 15 verse 16 through 26 we might get into that might get into that next week those are in the notes if you go to live.elevate.life you can see all these little verses that I'm talking about so in those in those verses Okay, the Bible gives us specific ways to act and specific ways to not act. And all of those ways to act come back to this really simple thing. So I'm not gonna get into you know, sexual immorality and you know, unselfishness and perseverance, all the different kind of stuff. You can read that for yourself, but here's, here's the way I wanna put it, simply for our time today. Here's the, here's the practical behavior piece. If it's, not, if it's good for them, it's a win, if it's not good for them, it's sin. Yeah. It's just like nice rhyme. You could put that on Instagram. <laughs> right? You can you can put your name on there too. So if it's put that back up. Did they put it up back here? Yeah. So if it's good for them, it's a win. If it's not good for them, it's a sin. Who's them? Anybody around you? Right. If your behavior, if the way you live your life is good for the people around you, it's a win. If it's not good for people around you, whatever it is, I don't know what it is. I don't know what your struggle is. But if your behavior is not good for the people around you, it's sin, it's a miss. I'm gonna talk about sin in just a second. But everything I do towards people should only be done in service of loving them better and fulfilling this Jesus commandment of love God and love your neighbor as yourself. To make this even more simple, here's the question you should ask yourself every day in every situation, especially in human being encounters, what does love require of me? It's what Andy Stanley says. I wish I came up with it, but he did, and I have to give him credit for it um, at least once. So, So Andy Stanley tells us to ask this question. It's a really great thought. When you're thinking about how to treat somebody, how to be with somebody, how to respond to somebody, how to live your life, you got to ask this question according to the commandment of Jesus. What does love require of me in this situation? What does love require of me in this relationship? What does love require of me with this person? Because everything that I do should be done in the service of making people feel more loved. So back to the, back to the word and the, and the story of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 9, The Bible tells us this. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. So why would Jesus, why would Jesus say this? I mean, there's, a, like, there's a, a lot of people in this room. Christianity is the largest religion in the world right now. There were, a lot of, there were a lot of people back then. There's even more people now today. But this is still something that Jesus asks us today to do that. Why, why? Look, at, look at the context here. So Jesus says... If the Bible says when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. They were lost people, they were jacked up. It was a mess. And then Jesus says, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray that God will send more workers into the field. So, what is Jesus showing us? I'm going to start kind of at the end. The proper response to any brokenness that we interact with, to people that are broken, to situations that are broken. The proper response to broken and helpless and hurting people is not jealousy, it's not anger, it's not indifference, it's compassion. It's a broken heart for them. This is all throughout the New Testament. So many people, the way they respond to people's brokenness is by wanting to break them some more. So many people, the way they respond to people's brokenness is with judgment. So many people, the way they respond to people's brokenness is with anger, is with jealousy, is with whatever. God, why didn't you do that for me? That person's corrupt. That person's whatever. Why why can't you give me money like that? Because I'll give it to the kingdom. The proper response to people's brokenness, according to Jesus, is compassion. The Bible says that Jesus had compassion on people. When he did miracles, he did it out of compassion. He didn't didn't heal people. Like if you read the story of the woman at the well, there's a a story in John chapter 4. There's this woman at the well and Jesus says to her, you've been with five different guys and the guy you're with right now is not your husband and uh, you're never gonna be satisfied. But if you drink the water that I have to give that's not physical water, it's spiritual water, then I will change your life. He did not look at her and say, hey, make sure you apologize to me first. Make sure you repent. He had compassion on her because there's people in the world, all of us, human beings. We got drama, we got issues we got temptations, we got things that we struggle with. One of the reasons why you and I hide that stuff from other people is because we're afraid of how people would react to that. So Jesus says, your reaction in the midst of people's drama, in the midst of people's sin, when you find out about their brokenness, when you find out what's messed up with somebody, your reaction should be compassion. So what's Jesus' prayer for more people to be like him? Jesus said, pray that God would send more workers out into the field. Pray that God would send more compassionate people. You know what our our prayer needs to be in this this, um, day and age that we live in, but really in every day and age, it's amazing to me that Jesus and all of this stuff was said 2000 years ago. You would think that he's talking to Americans in 2019, but he's talking to us 2000 years ago. The world needs compassion. Listen to the Beatles in the 70s. All you need is love. Da, 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 right? Now, some people don't like that song. They don't like the Beatles, whatever. They're like the biggest band in history. You're just going to have to get over it at this point. So, for history, for human history, this is what people have needed and this is what people don't get. And that just doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't make sense to me how people can follow Jesus, how people can claim to follow Jesus, but be so non-compassionate, be so judgmental, be so this way and that way about how people are and how they think people should be and all that different kind of stuff. Because we get caught up, even though, yeah, man, I'm I'm all about kingdom, I'm focused, my mind, my eyes are on heaven, I'm all about Jesus. We get so caught up in the, the politics and the issues of our day and age that we miss what it is that Jesus is praying for and believing for in our own life. Jesus said, pray that God would send more workers to the field. Pray that God would send more people to be compassionate, not to be judgmental, not to cause more divides, not for there to be more disunity, not for there to be blah, 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 all the stuff that we see. There's gotta be people that show up to the situation and say, you know what, like my role and responsibility is to be compassionate, not towards a certain group of people, but towards all people. So Galatians chapter 6 in the message version, Paul says this, live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down, reach out to those who are oppressed share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you're badly deceived. So Paul says, what is is Christ's law? Like we know at this point, we're gonna drill it into ourselves. Christ's law for us is to love your neighbor as yourself. Forgivingly restore people. You know what? You know what has bothered me growing up in church. One of the things that bothers me growing up in church is like a lot of people have said this, and there's a whole bunch of different ways to say it. But Christians are the only people that shoot their wounded, right? It's like, man, like that person's got a sin issue. Kill them. Put a bullet in their head. Never restore them back to ministry. That person's made a mistake. They can never be a leader again. It's like what? Paul says, the Bible says, restore people. Restore people back into what God has called them to be and what God has called them to do. And so, so we've seen people, like again, if, you, if you've walked with God, if you've walked with God a long time, if you're a Christian in the 80s, you have seen the evil of Christians. Someone told me last week, you gotta stop, you got to stop attacking your army. What that means is you got to stop being mad at all the Christians. Like, I don't need an army like this. We don't, we, don't need a, we don't need an army full of people that will, all, that will turn on us whenever we make mistakes. What, what ha, what's happened in, in culture and what continues to happen for us is when someone makes a mistake, yes, we hold them to this standard. We should hold people, we should hold ourselves to a standard. We should hold people to a standard. But what do we do when they don't live up to that standard? That's what we have to deal with. What does love require of me? Paul says, lovingly restore people in the midst of the drama and the stupidity and what they don't do and who they're not and how they don't act that you think that they should act. And so fulfill Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're fooling yourself. So, so often we look at people's issues, whatever the issue is. I don't know what it is. We look at people's issues and we... Uh, Do not do that. We don't fulfill Christ's law. We don't lovingly restore people. We just cut them out. I'm done with you. There's no hope. You have to answer that question in your mind. Do you believe that people can change? And if your answer is no, you're not living the Jesus life. Because Jesus can change anybody at any time, any place. But what it takes. now Now here's the hard thing. What it takes is you and I being willing to lovingly restore people. Now, there's sometimes that relationships might be too far gone. So it's not about still having a relationship with that person. It's not about hanging out and allowing yourself to be mistreated. That's not what it's about. But what is the position of your heart towards people? What does love require of you? That's a question only you can answer. What does compassion require of you in this situation with this person who's really struggling right now? who's really lost like sheep without a shepherd that's what Jesus said he looked at he looked at the people and he said my goodness these people are so lost they have no they have no shepherd you know it's like it's like people that you know one of the great kind of economic things that people are struggling with is when people are raised in in situations with poverty right they don't they don't have advantages they don't they don't have people who are going to teach them how to think They don't have people who are going to help them rise up out of a poverty, out of a poverty mindset. And so you have one group of people that basically treats people like in poverty, like, oh, well, you know, that's easy. Just get out of it. That doesn't help. What helps is when people look at people that are disadvantaged. There are people, believe it or not, in America, not just in the world, in America, in the country that we live in, there are people that have a major disadvantage compared to us, especially if you live in this part of Texas. If you live in this part of Texas, you are not disadvantaged in the slightest. There are people, there are people who live in our country right now who face major disadvantages towards ever being healthy, towards ever, you know, realizing any kind of success in their life. And Jesus says, look at those people with compassion. Don't look at them and judge them. Right? Abraham Lincoln, if you walk a mile in my shoes, then you can, then you can understand me, all that kind of stuff. So look at people and have compassion on them because they are lost. Look at the world and have compassion on the world because the world is lost. We all know it's a mess. Right? We watch the news. All of us do. We 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 got an idea of what's going on. Don't look at it and be mad about it. Look at it and have compassion on it. Go God send people into that world. God politics is ridiculous. Send some people into that world, God. We've seen, we've seen, you know, right? Like in, in, in Christian culture, we've seen people be mad because someone went and met with the president that was a Christian leader. It's like, how does that make any sense? Well, why would you meet with the president? Well, because I believe God can help him. But well, we, we don't want God to help the president. We say, get him out of there. That's not, that's maybe political. That's not Jesus though. Jesus is compassion. People that are lost, people that are messed up, people that are, people that are dramatic. That's what Jesus says to be. So what's Jesus' prayer for more people to be like him? Easy to say, difficult to do. Now I'm up here, I'm not telling you probably something that you don't know. But I'm just up here to encourage you, hopefully we can do this, because this is the kind of stuff, this is the kind of stuff that changes the world, because this is the kind of stuff that changes people. The Bible tells us that the goodness of God leads people to repentance. There's not been a recorded case in history of someone being hated into life change. Like, I'm going to judge you so hard, you're going to know you got to change. I don't don't think that's ever happened. There has been cases where people have received so much mercy, so much grace, so much forgiveness, so much compassion that they can't help but change themselves. Romans chapter 6 says it this way, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person though someone might be willing to die for someone who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Look at what Paul says. You wouldn't be willing to do something for someone who's okay. You might, you might do something really, you might like sacrifice your life if it was the most noble person that you knew on the planet. Like, okay, this person's gonna be better than me, so I'm willing to take the bullet for him, Right? But Paul says Jesus didn't die just for like the really good people. Jesus died for the worst of the worst. He died for the most notorious, most dramatic, people that might not ever change. While we were yet sinners, while we were in the midst of the worst of the worst, Jesus died for us. Jesus showed his great love for us. So here's what you and I have to understand. God expects the same thing out of us. Jesus said, John chapter 13, verse 34, John chapter 15, love people as I have loved you. While they are in their sin, while they're in the midst of the mess, sacrifice for them. Shoot. That's what God asks out of us. It's to, to be that kind of person. Sin is should break our hearts because sin breaks people and broken people break God's heart. That's how we should respond to it. When we see just garbage that's happening in the world, we shouldn't respond to it with anger. A lot of people like have this excuse of, well, I'm ri- I'm, I have righteous anger. God doesn't. God doesn't have righteous anger towards that person. God's not mad at the gay person. God's not mad at this person over here doing that. God's not mad at someone who's pro-choice. He's not mad at them. He's broken about them. He's messed up about it because they're so lost and they don't have a shepherd and they don't have someone who's going to step into their life as an individual and say, hey, I'm here for you, man. I love you. Because what's sin? What's sin? All sin means, you're going to hear this in starting point if you go to it. All sin is, it's an archery term. You just miss the mark. Just miss it. You miss what you're aiming for. What's your assumption about people? Do you assume that people are just evil and wrong and awful? I hope not, because then you'd have to assume that about yourself. So so our assumption about people should be that God can speak to them. He created them. Everybody is somebody who God loves because everybody is somebody that God created. There's not a person on this earth today. There's not a person who's ever been on this earth who God did not create. It's not one person. So therefore, there's not one person who ever has lived or ever will live that God does not love. And that we should not love. We can't be four people far from God until we feel what God feels for people that are far from him. That's, that's my personal prayer in, in this series. And that's my prayer in my life. God, just help me to have your heart for people. Help me see people the way that you see them. Because I got Prejudice. And I, got, and I got stuff, I don't want to see people that way in my natural human self. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to love people that way. They don't deserve it. Like I've been mistreated by people. I've had a lot of negative things said about me, blah, blah, blah. So God, I don't want to do it. Like I want to be justified in cutting that, in cutting that person out of my life and letting them know how I feel about them. God's like, no, you got to have my heart for them. What's sin? Aiming for a target. My assumption is that we're trying to hit the target. We're trying to do whatever it is that we can do. People are trying to do that. Everyone's trying to figure it out, okay? We're trying to figure out what our life is about as individuals. You know, millions and millions, billions of people in the world trying to figure it out. A whole bunch of different ways to figure it out. We're going to miss the mark time and time again. So when people miss the mark, what do you do? When people miss the mark, what does Jesus do? When people miss the mark, Jesus says, hey, that's okay, because I can hit the mark every time. So if you just do life with me, I'll help you get better. Jesus shows us in his relationship with us what our relationship with other people should be. But So often we don't do that. Jesus says, pray that God would send more people out into the world to be like that. That's still his prayer today. Looks at his disciples, pray that God would send more people that are compassionate. Pray that God would send more people that are loving. Pray that God would send more people that when people are at the lowest of low, you can pick them up, lovingly restore them. But you're not too good for that. You don't have too much going on for that. You're not too busy for that. You're not too selfish for that. You're able to walk around and be aware of the the hurts that are in our world today. There's not enough people, in my opinion, whatever, maybe I'm negative, sorry, sorry, working on it there's not enough people to do the hard work of having compassion on broken people it's hard people are messed up you're gonna have to have a lot of meetings a lot of times same thing be said over and over and over again same conversations over and over and over again but people are worth it people's destinies are worth it that's all that's all that matters to god the amount of money that you have doesn't matter the vacation that you go on doesn't matter None of that stuff matters. You know, like that's my realization in this season of life with my dad. Like it doesn't matter. Like the church, I mean, just forgive me. The church doesn't matter if my dad's dead to me. If my family's falling apart, who cares about the earthly success thing? Who cares about preaching on a platform? Who cares about doing what I want to do? Who cares about any of that if my relationships are just disappearing or my relationships are messed up or if there's people in the world that are messed up? Who cares? Who cares? Why does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. None of this other stuff matters. Maybe you've been through like seasons that have rocked you like that and situations that have rocked you like that to make you refocus on what matters. And what, what Jesus says matters is not your financial independence, although that's good. What Jesus says matters is not your personal freedom, although that's good. What Jesus says matters is other people. Too many people, in my opinion, want to make a point more than they want to make a difference. So we're, li- we're living life, we're living life, and we're like, no, you gotta understand this, man. We're like, no, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta understand this deal. You gotta get this deal. You gotta get all this head knowledge in your head. You gotta figure all this out. You gotta have all the answers. Jesus was not about making a point with people. He made a lot of points and they're really good. They're really salient points. But it wasn't about making a point. It was just about making a difference in the individuals' lives that he came across. That needs to be who we are. There's a whole lot of behaviors, right? Paul says, get rid of this, get rid of that, don't do this, don't do that, do these things. Why? Because if it's not good, if it's good for them, it's a win. If it's not good for them, it's a sin. You miss the mark. That's what sin means. You miss the mark. I think God would rather us make a difference in people's lives than make a point. The work Jesus has asked us to do is the work of compassion, of mercy, of forgiveness, and of love. Why? Because it's dangerous to go alone. It's dangerous for us to leave people alone. We gotta be the old man. Walks up to the person and says, hey, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this and give him a hug. And give him a sword and give him a hug. It's dangerous to go alone. It's dangerous for us to be alone. It's dangerous for other people to be alone. We have to insert ourselves into people's stories and bring compassion and bring love and bring grace and bring forgiveness. And by extension, through us, God brings his freedom into people's lives. So I don't just want to talk at you. We have a really cool story that's kind of a little bit about this that, that I want to show you. And uh, we, got to, we got to put this story together over the past couple weeks. So I want you to just check this story out.
0: Growing up, I had a lot of great friends, super close with all of them. I was really involved in my school. Um, I played a lot of sports. I guess I felt like that kind of defined who I was, and I graduated, and I went to college, moved away from home, was away from the core friends that I had, my family. Kind of like every typical college student does, I put on 15 pounds the first year, and I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to start working out again. So I started running and I really started restricting what I was eating. I remember one night I had worked out and I went home and I just binged for the first time. And I ate a ton of food and I felt super sick, of course. And I went into my bathroom and I made myself sick for the first time. And I laid on the tile floor and I remember thinking like this is, the lowest point, like this is rock bottom. It doesn't get any worse than this and I'm never gonna do this again. Like this will never happen again. But it was just the beginning. I didn't go do a lot of stuff with friends. I didn't get involved. I just focused on food and working out. I binged at least every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And I was skeletal, barely 90 pounds. I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't feel good about anything I was doing, but I guess when there was so much that I couldn't control in life, every day I could control that number on the scale, and that's what I liked about it. It felt like I was in control. Yeah, there is a lot of pressure, I think, on females to look a certain way. Social media, I think, is really bad about that because people put filters on every picture that they put out there, and on social media, you can make things that are just kind of average seem really awesome, and you can hide the bad stuff nobody has to know. I mean, I did that, people thought my life was great, everything seemed awesome for me, but on the inside, I was struggling. I moved to Dallas. I think I was probably here for about six months, and I was doing all the same stuff, and I got up on a Saturday, and I went and worked out, and I binged, got sick, and I just thought, this is like I have to do something, something has to change. And while I was in Dallas, I actually confided in a girl named Valerie. She'd had an eating disorder and she was very open about all of it. She had made me a print that said made for more. And so that same Saturday, I'd actually changed the wallpaper on my phone to her print It said made for more and then i decided i needed to go to church i needed to do something and so i started googling just churches that were close there were several that were really close to me and actually elevate life wasn't even the closest one it was kind of far from where i was living at that point but for some reason i was like i think this is where i want to go i'm going to go here i went into elevate and worship was just incredible it was really good i had goosebumps and then a girl sang a song, I think it was called, Run to You. And at that point I just started crying, like I just kinda broke down. And then I pulled out the notes and the message was made for more. And I thought, that's not a coincidence. God had strategically put me in the right place at the right time with the right people um, for the last five to six years to get me there for that message and something just clicked for me at that point. And that was true. I was made for more. Like he was telling me. He was telling everybody in that room that, you know, I was made for more. That's what it felt like to me. And I it did, it stopped after that. I I didn't binge eat anymore. I mean my whole mentality has changed. I was just going through the motions. I didn't enjoy anything. I didn't have relationships. And now that I've let go of all of that, I have great relationships. I feel like a, a totally different person. And it wasn't, although it may seem like the most important transformational part of my story is the physical one, to me it's not at all. It's the, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. I felt helpless. And I felt like I was spiraling out of control. I felt unworthy my life didn't feel like it mattered my whole purpose was to eat and work out and get sick and I was frustrated by that because it seemed like such an easy thing to do to just make the decision to stop but for some reason I couldn't it was an addiction I mean I was very secretive about it so I guess it was really lonely too because I didn't I didn't tell people nobody had any idea really what I was going through I felt really weak even though I mentally wanted to, and I felt like I was a strong person, and so I felt really weak that I couldn't stop. I felt ashamed that I had done that. I think that was a shameful part of my past, and I felt like I was irredeemable. I'd done too much. I'd done it for too long, and I was too deep that, you know, I I couldn't be saved at that point. I feel strong and I feel worthy. I feel loved. And I think it, love is an important part of it because I remember the people that I was with, Bill, well, I feel like they had no obligation to love on me. Most of them had no idea what I was going through. They just loved me because that's who they were. And it was absolutely what I needed at that point. So I feel incredibly loved and I feel like, I am made for more.
1: Yeah, I don't know if Jesse's in this service, but that's, that's how God works with people. It's like in the midst of the whatever. I don't know what the whatever is. In the midst of the whatever, God brings people into that. So, um, Kintsugi, is this this ancient Japanese art of repairing broken pottery with lacquer that's mixed with with gold. And um, I'll show you this. So this art form says that pots and cups and bowls that have been broken and become damaged shouldn't just be thrown away. With kintsugi, the broken pieces of a ceramic should be carefully picked up and reassembled with this expensive lacquer and no attempt should be made to disguise the damage by repairing the damage in this way, the broken parts of this ceramic become the most valuable. This is how I believe God deals with people that in the midst of like, we're broken, we're messed up. Let's just admit it. Like there's not one person in this room who has got it figured out. And if you do, we'd love to worship you, Jesus. But for real, when, when we decide to live life the way Jesus wants, wants us to, I believe that in a spiritual and a mental and in an emotional way, we fill these cracks for each other. That it's not that like we're, we're never broken. Restoration doesn't mean, hey, like it never happened. Restoration means, yeah, like you got cracks in you and you're messed up, but you're worth repairing. Restoration means that, hey, like the the hardest parts of you, the most difficult things that you've been through, the hardest stuff that you've been through, God's going to use people to fill those things with gold. And those are the places that God is going to place the most value in your life. God doesn't intend to make us as if we were never broken, but God's power, his love, his grace works best in the midst of the most broken things in our life. So what God does is he sends his people and he says, hey, that person's broken. And he says, I want you to fill in the cracks with that person. I want you to tell him, however he says it to us, I want you to tell him they're made for more. It's a person that made the little painting, had probably no idea what Jesse was going through in her life and her struggle and all that. But God, God knew. And so God sent a person just to do a little thing that she could turn into an iPhone wallpaper that led to this story of radical transformation and self-worth. That in the, in the most broken place in her life, God filled, it with, God filled it with gold. Bible tells us, Paul says that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. That while in, in, the, midst of our, in the midst of our greatest weakness, in the midst of our worst brokenness, in the midst of our hurt, when, when people can show up in our life, have compassion on us, love us in the midst of our brokenness, God fills the brokenness with gold. I think that's such a beautiful example of how God wants to use relationships in our life and how God's called us to be his people. It's not about just us being happy. It's not about us being perfect. It's not about us being selfish and just living life our way and whatever, whatever. But It's about understanding that God has put you on the earth for a reason. And if you follow him, if you follow Jesus, you give up your way. You give up what you want so that you can be the thing that fills in the cracks in people's lives. There's not enough people that do this. There's not enough people that are compassionate. There's not enough people that love people where they're at. Jesus says, pray that God would send more workers out into the field. Pray that God would send more people to do the hard work of filling in the cracks in people's lives. Because what's probably harder than making the ceramic is fixing the ceramic, picking up all those broken pieces, putting them back together. Probably takes longer than it does to make the ceramic. God has called us to be those kind of people. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Anyone that can hear my voice, doesn't matter where you're, at, whether you're at home, watching online, or whatever, you're in this room. Cause you might be sitting here this morning and you know, this is first service. So you might, you might've uh, might be good at hiding out with all the good Christians in the 9am, but you know, like you're messed up right now. Like you're broken. Maybe people don't see it. Maybe you don't think people know it. Maybe you, you, you put up a good front. You just know there's a whole bunch of cracks right now that haven't, that haven't been filled. Maybe you feel lonely. Maybe you feel like nobody, nobody can understand. Jesus looks at you in the midst of whatever your, your, whatever your brokenness is, and he has compassion on you. He loves you right where you're at. He wants to fill the broken places in your life, but you have to just, you know, we've been talking about it throughout this series. God stands at the door and he knocks. And he says, hey, can I do this? Can I love you? It's not about you being worthy. He's worthy. He's got it all figured out. He just wants to love you where you're at wants to have a right relationship with you. And I want to give you an opportunity. If you just feel like, man, I've been, I've just held on to too much of my brokenness and I'm just not in the best place with, with me and Jesus. And I want, I want to have a relationship with him. I want to be a Jesus follower. I want to do life the way that, that he wants me to do it. Maybe that brokenness has prevented you from loving people the way that you've needed to love people of your own personal brokenness and how people have treated you and how people have been with you. And that's caused you to put up walls in your life and boundaries in your life that are all very real. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying Jesus wants to fill that brokenness so that you don't, so that you're not broken anymore, so that you can help fix other people. If that's you and you just know like on whatever level I'm broken and those things have not been repaired yet with the love and the mercy of Jesus on my life and I want to have a right relationship with him, I feel like God's tugging on my heart. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna do anything weird. I just want you to put your hand up and say, that's me. I just need to, I just need to be, in, be in the right place in my relationship with God. I want God to do that in my life. Is there anybody else? I just wanna give you an opportunity. You can put your hands down. I want everyone that can, that can hear my voice to pray this prayer and repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for dying for me in the midst of my mess. I pray that today I would feel your love. Be Lord of every area of my life and help me to love people like you love me. Your name I pray, amen. Can we give those people that made that decision a big hand?
0: Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our channel on iTunes and YouTube. That way, you know when a new sermon has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, feel free to go to elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.